Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, how are you doing, buddy? How's it not going? Great. How was your weekend? Not, not great, Joey. You want to talk about some football? Uh, I guess. <laughs> not great. Didn't go well. I will say that regardless of the, uh, the game that happened between our two teams, which is where we'll start here in just a minute, this weekend of college football got super weird. Yeah, okay, so basically if you were ranked, you probably lost. Like, rule, and general lost rule to an, of an, like an unranked team that you had no business losing to. Yeah, like general rule of thumb, if you hadn't watched any of the games, like, you name them, they probably lost. And it was probably to an unranked team. So, yeah, really weird. Obviously, ACC, a lot of weird games. I mean, the, the starting with the uh, North Carolina-Duke game, obviously, having North Carolina get upset and extend that curse of being ranked number 17. Basically, week in and week out, if you're ranked 17th in one of the polls, you're probably going to lose. That's been kind of a trend here the last, like, eight or nine weeks. Very weird stuff going on there. Um, So that game happens. I want to say I saw that number 17 in the AP poll is officially winless on the year or something like that. Like, they've lost every single week. Yeah, no, that's pretty unbelievable. So you have that going, and then... Virginia, obviously Virginia Tech losing, and they were 14th in the college football poll. Clemson getting upset. Louisville having trouble with Wake Forest until the last nine minutes where they almost covered the spread. Um, but back to the teams that lost. Uh, who else? Uh, yeah, so Pittsburgh upsets Clemson. Uh, outside of the ACC, Michigan loses to Iowa, an unranked Iowa team that probably had no business uh, winning that game, but you think about it, and Iowa is a team that would typically give Michigan problems. I mean, they punch you right in the mouth. That's what they did in Iowa City. That's never an easy place to win. So Michigan goes down. You have Washington losing to USC. USC won that game actually pretty convincingly. Uh, So you had those types of things happening outside of the conference as well, and those were kind of the highlights. But, yeah, no, really crazy weekend. Texas A&M blows a lead to a quarterback at Ole Miss who had his red shirt burned. Oh yeah, forgot about that. How about Auburn losing to Georgia? Like Auburn what? manages seven points against Georgia. Um, yeah, this was a wild weekend, Mike. And uh, it was funny. I mean, it was just as we started to get comfortable and knowing who who the the powerhouses really were in the in the uh, the country across across college football. Uh, we were proven wrong. Anything can happen. And that is uh, that's why we we get so invested in this game. I think sometimes. Yeah, even like even if it means like was it five or six at top ten losing? I mean it's yeah, it's wild. The Auburn Georgia game was weird because Auburn has been I mean, they've looked like twenty twelve, twenty thirteen Auburn. Uh they I mean, they've been lighting up the scoreboard here for most of the second half of the year and even a little bit before that, and now 
I, man, that's uh, that's a really tough loss to Georgia. I mean, Georgia's not a good team right now, so don't really get it. Really weird stuff. Hey, I'm perfectly fine killing Georgia not very good on any any occasion. <laughs> um, before we get into these games, real quick, Mike, just want to point out, uh, you guys can reach us out on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us your questions uh, via email. We are basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we really appreciate you guys that are subscribing and listening and reviewing and uh, rating and doing all these neat things. Um, this is this has been a fun year so far. We really appreciate you guys joining us. And we're growing, too, which is really encouraging. So thank you all for listening. We are growing. Um, and so, Mike, without any further ado, let's get into this here. Um, I, I want to set the table here a little bit. Last week we were talking about Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and I told you I felt very comfortable that Virginia Tech was going to cover two touchdowns here. Um, Virginia Tech has been really good for most of the year. The defense is playing really well and traditionally has given Georgia Tech a lot of problems. Georgia Tech was playing like garbage on defense and the offense was a little inconsistent and I had no reason to believe that Georgia Tech could keep this game within two touchdowns. Then it's around lunchtime on Saturday that I got a little bit of intel from Blacksburg. We had a, I had a friend who was in attendance and in the know and uh, contacted me to let me know that it did not look like senior center Freddie Burden nor senior quarterback Justin Thomas were going to be playing in this game. This a few days after we found out that starting B-back and leading rusher on the team, Diedrich Mills, would also not be playing. He was suspended for two games. And so as soon as I got this intel, Mike, uh, I, I looked up the number to my local bank to see if I could take out a mortgage uh, to bet <laughs> on Virginia Tech to cover 14 because there was no scenario I saw Georgia Tech covering a 14-point spread, and they won outright. And that's why you never bet the house on college football. Um, never literally bet the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't even consider it. So... Here's a stat for you. Virginia Tech lost to a backup quarterback who completed two passes yesterday for 34 yards. I mean, we were we were texting each other during this game. Just Both of us were just dumbfounded at what was going on. I was in attendance. Yeah. And I couldn't. I mean, I was telling you, Joey, when we were, you know, talking back and forth there, I didn't really get it. Like, I was in attendance, and it was weird. You're watching on TV. It's weird. Nobody in the stands really understood it either because the the Virginia Tech defense seemed like it was playing okay and then had a couple of long runs just kill them in this game. And then the offense, what are they doing? They can't run the football. Like, that's – what are we doing here? Like, you know, they, it seems like they've tried to run the football a little bit more the last few weeks. That's really been the issue with Virginia Tech's offense. We can talk about, oh, you know, how they've improved from – Last year to this year, I it, look, nobody's going to argue. The offense the last few years has been really bad for Virginia Tech. But the fact that they've still struggled to run the football, I think, is my biggest takeaway from this game. And it's easy to sit here and point at, point at the turnovers and um, and say, yeah, you know, you, you turn the ball over three or four times a game, you're going to lose, which, you know, duly noted. And, you know, when you look at Virginia Tech, obviously Gerard Evans throwing the football, 32 of 45 for 316, a touchdown and two picks. The two picks were back-breaking. Uh, the, the one fade route he threw in the end zone, I I don't even know what he was doing in the first half. Um, just a couple of really inexplicable throws. He had a lot of issues going to his secondary read, which 
you know, in my opinion, if, if there was one thing to complain about with Gerard Evans' play this year, and there hasn't been much, but it's been that he's struggled at times to go from his primary to his secondary read. The reason why his stats have been so good this year is because his primary read is Isaiah Ford, and Isaiah Ford is almost always finding a way to get open. Um, it's very rare that Evans has to sit back there and kind of scan the field all day long and look for somebody to throw to. So that's the other takeaway. I think it was Evans' worst game of the year. A lot of those yards that I just referred to, over 300 on the day, came in garbage time when they were trying to mount a, a furious comeback in the fourth quarter um, after it was 30-7. to seven. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, the, the big takeaway for me being in attendance, it was obviously a weird game. The turnovers killed them, obviously, uh, you know, fumbling the opening kickoff, not having the momentum on your side. I thought also the play calling, um, while I'm jumping all over the place here, uh, second half starts and... Virginia Tech forces a turnover, which is what you need to do against a Georgia Tech offense that is really sitting on the football. Um, they, they force a turnover to start the second half. Evans throws a great ball to Isaiah Ford for a touchdown. And then Virginia Tech forces Georgia Tech to go, I believe, three and out. And you're thinking, okay, Virginia Tech's got the momentum back. Hokies start throwing the football all over the field. They're driving on Georgia Tech. And on third down and five, Virginia Tech faces, they end up running a quarterback draw with Gerard Evans and it didn't go anywhere. And they were faced with, I think, fourth and three and a half or fourth and four, and they tried to throw for it, and he tried to force-feed Isaiah Ford there. Uh, didn't work out, and he had Bucky Hodges running wide open over the middle of the field, nobody within five or ten yards of him. If he just lobs it to him, it's a touchdown. Um, he, he jogged 35 yards into the end zone. Uh, so that's when the game changed for me. I thought Virginia Tech was starting to build momentum in the second half, but once that happened, Georgia Tech obviously goes on the, you know, has a long touchdown run by Matthew Jordan. Ball game. Um, and, and that was that was really it for me. Uh, I, I think Matthew Jordan, uh, Joey, real quick before I let you talk, I thought he was pretty impressive running the ball yesterday. Um, I, I thought he made all the all the reads he needed to make, carried the ball 32 times for 121 yards, two touchdowns. You didn't know what you were getting at the quarterback position yesterday. Uh, he steps in, plays admirably on the road in a game that they were definitely not supposed to win. Of course, he spoke to how many people were injured. It's just uh, it's a big-time win for Georgia Tech, something that Paul Johnson needed here um, because Georgia Tech, it was, uh, it's obviously been up-and-down, se- like, roller-coaster type season for them. A lot of it was due to the defense, but the defense won them the game yesterday. And then Matthew Jordan's play, I think, just kind of solidified how good of a game it was for Georgia Tech. So that's my long-winded takeaway from that whole thing. Just a really weird game. It really was. Uh, Matthew Jordan obviously stepping into a role for Justin Thomas – Jordan, a very different style of player. Um, I, I sit here and I will defend tooth and nail Justin Thomas's passing ability. I will do no such thing for Matthew Jordan. Um, <laughs> he was two of seven, and it would have been worse if they let him throw the ball more than seven times. Um, so that wasn't good. But running the ball, though, 32 carries, that tied a record of the Paul Johnson era for carries by a quarterback in a game. Um, he's a very physical downhill runner between the tackles type. Uh, he and Marcus Marshall stepping in for Dedrick Mills. Marshall was actually the team's leading rusher last year um, and has since been beaten out for that starting role. But Marshall comes away 19 carries for 143 yards. He was remarkably uh, consistent throughout the game and then eventually broke the long run in the second half to uh, put the game away for Georgia Tech. The thing to me, Mike, that was just the most kind of just flattening was how much, again, Bud Foster's defenses have traditionally given this team a lot of problems. And we, we like to talk about Paul Johnson sometimes as, like, he's a guy that thinks he's playing chess while the rest of the, you know, rest of the room is just playing checkers. Right. 
I mean, this was as vanilla an offensive game plan as I've seen. It, it was like everybody was just playing checkers. I mean, they had <laughs> Georgia Tech had 65 offensive snaps. Two of them were a kneel down at the end of the game and a fumbled center exchange uh, that they lost. So figure 63 snaps uh, that they kind of ran a play on. 51 of them were carries by either the quarterback or the B-back. Yep. And, I mean, there was nothing there was nothing really creative about it for the most part. There was a couple of tweaked blocking schemes that I think opened up a couple of those long runs. But, really, the game plan here was don't throw the ball, don't screw it up, and, I guess, just try to be opportunistic on defense. And somehow it worked. Uh, Gerard yep. Evans did not have a good game. Virginia Tech was not playing well in offense. They they have some inflated total yardage uh, in this game, but yeah, definitely m- most of it came late in the game when they were already down thirty to seven. Um, yep. It's prevent defense time for Paul Johnson. Yeah, th- this was bizarre, Mike, and it was a blowout. I I mean, at one point I tweeted it was like Virginia Tech's pregame meal was moonshine, like. I had no clue where any of this came from on any Ironically, end. Ironically, that was also my pregame meal. So <laughs> um, but yeah, this was crazy. Uh, this is a huge win for Georgia Tech. Uh, puts them in position to get win number seven potentially next week against UVA. Um, and man, that's, I mean, that's, I, I looked at this game a month ago as like the least winnable game left on the schedule, and somehow they won it. I, yep. I'm to this as we do this podcast right now on Sunday night. Like I have, I still don't know how this happened. Um, it was weird. But what a what a crazy and fun win for Georgia Tech here. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I came away and it sounds crazy to even say because you and I have watched the same. I mean, you even more intently than me, obviously. But you and I have watched the same Georgia Tech defense all year long, and I came away impressed with Georgia Tech's defense. When did we ever think we were going to say that? Um, Agreed. So, yeah, I mean, huge win for Georgia Tech. For Virginia Tech, I mean, really, what does this affect? This affects maybe your what bowl game you're going to. I mean, look, the, the chances that Virginia Tech made the college football playoff, sorry for all their fans listening to this, those chances ended when you lost to Syracuse. Like, you can't lose to Syracuse. And the Tennessee loss looks worse and worse now as well. So, you know, for those of you thinking that Virginia Tech had a chance that two-loss team to get in a playoff, you were dreaming anyway. There are three or four two-loss teams that are much better than Virginia Tech to begin with. And one of them is Wisconsin, who could find a way into the top four shortly. Um, so, it's, uh, yeah, tough, win- tough loss for Virginia Tech, but... You know the coastal still in their hands, thanks to North Carolina um, and doing doing what they did on Thursday night. So uh, just win, try to win the game next week against Notre Dame to get yourself rolling into that final rivalry game of the year, uh, final game of the year in the rivalry game against UVA. Win that game, your coastal champions, and then see what happens in the ACC championship game uh, when you play against Clemson. Oh, uh, I think Clemson. I mean, unless they really screw the pooch, we'll see. Yeah, we'll get there in just a second. Um, one, one more note on Georgia Tech's defense uh, and kind of what they did relative to what they've done so far this year. They forced four turnovers in this game. Coming into this game, they had forced nine in nine games all year. So they almost had a 50% of the total season total in just this game. They racked up five sacks after they'd only had three in the last five games previous. Um 
their third down conversion rate had was coming into the game was 52%. That was worst in the country. They held they held Virginia Tech to under 43%. This was an, an outstanding defensive performance. Paul Johnson said after the game that, well, I think the defense might have just gotten tired of hearing how bad they were. Um, and it got them to step up. And, and good for them. Yeah, Virginia Tech's still in the driver's seat in the Coastal. Um, North Carolina's loss to Duke on Thursday night helps with that. But uh, a little bit more bumpy sledding for uh, year one under Justin Fuente than a lot of folks were hoping for the last couple of weeks. Um, Mike, have you got anything else before we move on? I was just going to say, Virginia Tech fans discouraged by this performance. I mean, this has been kind of what we've watched the last few years, except this year they found a way to win close games. So I think that's been the difference between last year and this year. I, I think if there's a concern, it's obviously the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team. You see a Virginia Tech team really dominant one week, and then the next week you see them lose to a Syracuse or lose to a Georgia Tech. I, you know, I think Georgia Tech's better than Syracuse, but you can lump them in the same category for argument's sake. Uh, they're inferior to Virginia Tech uh, entering entering the game. So uh, the Jekyll and Hyde nature is something we'll have to watch here next next few years. But, I mean, if you had said Virginia Tech was in line to win eight or nine games in the first year under Justin Fuente, I think a lot of fans would have taken that. So they're, they're still in line to do that. No doubt. That's, that's a great first year under a new coach. And to, to be better in year one under a new coach than you were the last year under the previous coach, I mean, that's always a good sign, and especially when you're able to play at the level that Virginia Tech has played at so far. Moving on, Mike. Good Lord, Clemson. Clemsoning. It's back. Good Lord. We talked on this, on this very show last week about how I wasn't totally sure how Pittsburgh was going to move the ball on this Clemson defense how they've been stingy all year against the run, how they are, I mean, just, Pitt's got a, a creative and interesting offense, but if you're going to beat Clemson, you're going to have to find a way to throw the ball down the field. Except when you don't, and you run the ball 33 times for 156 yards, and then Nate Peterman throws the ball 37 times for 308 yards, five touchdowns, and no picks. Brent Venables, what is your defense doing, A, and B, Clemson with 25 carries for 50 yards in this game. Peterman for Heisman. What on, Mike, <laughs> what on earth just took place in Death Valley in this game? Nate Peterman, the game manager. Game manager no more. Oh, my goodness. 22 of, 22 of 37, 308 yards, five touchdown passes, no picks. My goodness. James Conner. 20 carries, 132 yards and a touchdown. And his touchdown was a huge run. I mean, he broke three or four tackles, uh, put Pitt up. I mean, it was it was a gigantic play in the game, uh, that touchdown run. So, big day by James Conner. Um, Scott Orndoff, Orndoff, yeah, the tight end. Nine catches, 128, two touchdowns. He was huge in this one. Clemson had to play catch-up with the Pittsburgh offense. It made no sense. Uh, and it was like that the entire game. They were just creating scores. It made no sense. Um, obviously, the one thing that stands out at me, not Deshaun Watson's two red zone interceptions they threw. I mean, that was a surprise, but, uh, you know, that is what it is. It's the fact that he threw the ball 70 times yesterday. Why did he throw the ball 70 times? Because they couldn't run the ball. Uh, 18 carries... 36 yards for Wayne Gallman, but he had three touchdown runs. Like, 
cool. Th- what are we doing here? I like, think I saw it's... the stat that Clemson... So Clemson had 33 first downs in this game. Not a single one was by running the ball. Yeah. It's... <laughs> it was weird. It what was weird. What in the world? It was... Yeah. No, we're talking about weird games. This was a weird game. The fact that Gallman... Three of Gallman's eight... One-sixth of Gallman's carries yesterday were for touchdowns, and he only ran for 36 yards. If you said that, yeah, he had three... Uh, he had 18 carries, three of them were touchdowns, you're thinking, okay, he probably went like 18 for 137 and three scores. No. 18 for 36 yards, averaging a robust two yards per carry, three scores. And Watson goes three touchdowns, three picks. Mike Williams, obviously, huge day. Ortega Scott, also huge day. Um, those two combined for, let's do the math, 28 catches for 327 yards and two touchdowns. I think I computed that right. Uh, Williams with 200 by himself. Scott had 125 touchdown catch for each of them. Uh, yeah, but obviously two red zone interceptions kill Clemson, and the thing that's every, that everybody's talking about, well, some people are talking about the officiating, which I don't, I mean, I don't really get. How about this? Don't turn the ball over twice in the red zone. And then don't go for it on fourth and one when the other team with Nate Peterman at quarterback would have to drive like seventy or eighty yards on you if you even punt that ball. Um, yeah, give me—I mean, give me a break. You can't blame the referees. That's asinine. Uh, but in any case, Clemson does what they were used to doing a few years ago: Clemsoning. Uh, that was th- this loss is on Deshaun Watson and Davos Swinney. I hate to say it, but it's on both of them. Clemson found the way to lose this game. Um, they had chances to put it away and chances to win it, and you mentioned them going forward on fourth down in the fourth quarter with a two-point lead. I I don't ever really like criticizing people for going forward on fourth and one, and especially on Pitt's side of the field and such, but in a game where you've had no luck running the ball whatsoever – and, and the other team only needs a field goal to put themselves in position. I mean, back them up. You know, yep. make them go as far as you can. Yep. Don't – Because uh, because Nate Peterman, like, to his credit, played a great game yesterday, right? I mean, we give him all this love at the beginning of the segment. No but at, at the end of the day, if you're Clemson, are you more comfortable giving – or having Nate Peterman drive, you know, what was it, 55, 60 yards on you? Or not even that to get in the field goal range. Or have him go the length, almost the length of the field. You want him to go the length of the field on a defense that is supposedly good, right? Like Clemson's defense didn't play well yesterday, but I mean that was going for that on fourth and one at whatever it was at thirty six or what, you know, whatever. Um, at the yard line really is moot at this point. They should have probably kicked it one way or another. But that just displayed that Dabo Swinney had no trust in his defense yesterday, which is scary because you're playing a pit offense right now that while they have been explosive this year, Nate Peterman is their quarterback, Joey. Like, you're not playing against Lamar Jackson. You're playing against Nate Peterman. Like, and somehow, God bless. Nate Peterman's offense scored more points than Lamar Jackson's offense did on this team. Yeah, like, God bless Nate Peterman, but he's <laughs> not one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the conference. Like, mm-hmm. most weeks he's a game manager. Mm-hmm. Yesterday he wasn't, and he made all the big throws that he needed to make down the stretch for them to get in the field goal range and win the game. Uh, he was He was spectacular yesterday. Chris blew it with yet another huge kick to win that game. This coming after, he missed a field goal and missed an extra point in the game. Um, so, I mean, that's a that's a hell of a rebound by him. Pittsburgh 43, Clemson 42, by the way. I don't know if we mentioned that. Deshaun Watson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, by the way, Pitt won. <laughs> oh, man. Deshaun Watson, I 
Fink set a conference record with 70 passing attempts and 580 yards. Um, but like you mentioned, the three interceptions, really I think that was the difference in the game, Mike, was Clemson, if you just look at the numbers, Clemson owned this game. They had almost 200 more total yards, 10 more first downs. They were 12 of 18 on third down. Um, they, but then they had nine penalties for 101 yards, and they turned the ball over three times. Hey, we also failed to mention, just real quick, let me get this in, uh, Deshaun Watson, ACC record yesterday, 588 passing yards. Yeah. Still lost. Yeah. I, I don't know. This is, this is wild. Um, huge win for Pittsburgh. They get to six wins as well. They make bowl eligibility. Clemson loses at home uh, for the first time in multiple years. I forget what the number is on that. Um, they had a long regular season winning streak going. You figure since the beginning of the 2015 season, two teams have beaten Clemson, and it's Alabama and Pittsburgh. Yep. And there's been a lot of big wins along the way over teams like a really good Louisville team against Florida State and on and on. So huge win for Pittsburgh, crushing loss for Clemson. You have to wonder how they're going to rebound here because they still probably have playoff hopes alive. It's just you got to rebound. You can't you can't afford to screw anything else up here. So Yeah, I mean, lucky, lucky for Clemson, everybody else lost yesterday. So they still have their, their shot for sure. That's right. Moving on, Mike. Let's go back to Thursday night when, <laughs> my goodness. This makes me happy. Duke 28, North Carolina 27. The vaunted Tar Heel offense held to 27 points. They turned the ball over multiple times. Uh, Duke, Duke gets their first conference win and retains the, the mathematical possibility of bowl eligibility by defeating the Carolina Tar Heels in what was a game that featured... Probably what we should call bad Mitch Trubisky here, Mike. Yep, uh, bad Mitch Trubisky for sure, and this makes me really, really happy because Tar Heel Illustrated, we talked about it last week, uh, they tweeted out something, oh, you know, Mitch Trubisky, if you don't count the uh, the Hurricane game against Virginia Tech, if you don't count the Hurricane game, he still hasn't thrown an interception in, like, X amount of attempts. It's like, yeah, well, if Virginia Tech didn't lose to, you know, Syracuse or Tennessee or... Uh, Georgia Tech this weekend, they'd be in the playoff picture. Like, get out of town. Like, get out of here. Like, it's it's insane. Um, we saw bad Mitch Trubisky uh, this weekend for sure. Did did not play his best game. The interception at the at the end of the game made I it made no sense to me. Like, I don't know who he was throwing to. I uh, I don't know. This was uh, I, I mean, the stats for Trubisky look okay. Like, 297, he did throw three touchdowns, but the two interceptions were just so backbreaking. And North Carolina's offense, uh, this could once again be characterized as a game where they did not give the ball enough to Elijah Hood. He had 13 carries for 75 yards, averaging nearly six yards per carry, and he only touched the ball 13 times in the running game. He did have five catches for 58 yards, so they did keep him involved, but I think from a rushing perspective, they could have definitely... Um, used him uh, a bit more. A uh, bit more volume would have been good there. Uh, Daniel Jones played well, 240 and a touchdown pass. Sean Wilson, welcome back. Good to see him healthy for Duke. Um, we we weren't sure after um, after what happened in the Virginia Tech game. He, you know, they, they were just, it was a scrap heap as far as who was playing running back for Duke. But it was good to see him running the ball, looking healthy. He had 24 carries for 107 yards, and that's kind of who they're relying on now with Jayla Duncan out for the season. So 
he played well. Daniel Jones ran the ball well from the quarterback position. Of course, threw the ball well, like I mentioned. It's just a really good win for Duke. Uh, you know, obviously, to, to win a game like this against a rival and to somehow get your fourth win of the year against a team that you probably should have lost to by a couple of scores. I mean, this is another game that kind of kicked off the whole college football weekend of everything kind of going awry. So, a uh, really good win for Duke. Bad loss for North Carolina. This is just not a good look. Yeah, Daniel Jones was pretty sneaky excellent in this game for Duke. Less sneaky but still excellent was the Duke defense. Uh, they, they put forth a hell of an effort in this game, obviously creating those two turnovers. Uh, they, they were harassing the North Carolina offense all night. Uh, this was a huge, huge performance from them. Uh, North Carolina now falls to 0-2 in games in which Mitch Trubisky throws an interception, and they're 7-1 and in games which he doesn't. So that tells you something. Don't throw picks. Uh, as you're mentioning, they still have this theme going of not giving the ball to Elijah Hood and TJ Logan quite enough. Uh, those two had only 19 carries on the night. And to be fair, Duke was doing an okay job of, of playing de- you know, playing defense against them. But still, I mean, the, Elijah Hood is, is a stud of a player. And even when you've got guys like Buck Howard and Ryan Switzer on the outside, Elijah Hood really could be used to wear down defenses and, and set up that passing game. Or even vice versa. I mean, you use the pass game to set up the run, but the run is just clearly not a priority for this North Carolina team right now, which is bizarre. But, I, I mean, I don't know what to say here, Mike. This is another kind of a stunner. I, I figured Duke could keep it close, but to come away with a, a big win on senior night is as big of a game as their defense had. I mean, this was a this was a massive, massive win for Duke. Um, they played a really good game, and they deserved to win it. North Carolina... Never really could get in a rhythm in the second half. Um, only scored six points after halftime. And, and Duke comes away with big winners here. Yep. Now it's uh, a big win for Duke. Really tough loss for North Carolina. They'll have to pick up the pieces and move on. I have no idea what they're going to do now. Um, I don't know. Yeah, It's not looking good. Duke 28, North Carolina 27. Man, there was another game that got super weird Saturday night. And just when you thought that all of these top teams are going down and another one might be primed to do it. Wake Forest carries a 12-10 to 10 lead over Louisville oh, into man. the fourth quarter, and then Louisville almost covers a 35-point spread. The, the Cardinals put up 34 points in the fourth quarter. I guess they just decided they were, they've were they had enough of it, and Lamar Jackson took over the game and torched the Steeman Deacons here. 44-12 Louisville big winners. I'm proud of you, Steeman Deacons. You really hung tough for a while. Um the Lamar Jackson touchdown counter. He only had one in this game. Are we sure it was uh, Lamar Jackson? I yeah, right. I know. I feel they, like he has a minimum quota of touchdowns per game. Yeah, they suit like Reggie Bonifant up a quarterback again, like they did last <laughs> year um, for a time, which uh, really would explain a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, you know. I, Wake Forest, to their credit, I mean, the, defensively they were pretty sound, and they, the rushing defense has been pretty good all year. Um, and it was for the most part in the first half, um, you know, obviously holding Louisville to three points. Now, Louisville obviously explodes in the second half, a big reason why as a team they ran for 346 yards yesterday and four touchdowns. Uh, Brandon Radcliffe, huge game, 141, three touchdowns. Lamar Jackson carried it 22 times for 153. Uh, most of his yards, like much like Radcliffe's, came in the second half. Uh, yeah, no, a really good win for Louisville. It was not looking very good. Obviously, going into half down 12-3, to not scoring your first touchdown until, like, what was it, 7 or 8-minute mark of the third quarter. 
uh, you're like, oh my god, is Louisville really going to sit here and struggle to a win against Wake Forest? But then the fourth quarter happened. Uh, thanks, Wake Forest, for all you did in the first part of the game. But uh, Louisville just blew the doors off of them. Uh, the Kyle Kearns interception, what are you, t- <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? Um, you run that back. I mean, it just it really got out of hand there in the fourth quarter. 34 points scored. Um, you know, almost covering the spread, which I, they had no business doing. I mean, it was 12 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, and Louisville still almost covers 35. Like, come on. But uh, a, a very good effort by Wake Forest for about two and a half quarters, and then I think they just eventually got worn down by a much better Louisville team. Which is understandable. Wake took a 12 to three lead into halftime. Louisville was a total mess in the first half. They they complete a pass on the first play of the game and then fumble it. They go punt, punt. They fumbled again. They fumbled again, and they finally kicked a field goal with just under 30 seconds left to go. They come out of halftime and particularly their last what four drives of the game: touchdown, 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 and also threw in an interception for a touchdown in there. Um, they were they were extremely efficient once they kind of flipped the switch and went. Uh, Brandon Radcliffe, like you mentioned, had a great game. 11 carries, 141 yards, and three touchdowns. It seemed like the Wake Forest defense, as soon as Lamar Jackson would kind of rip off a, a big, long carry, which he obviously has the propensity to do, they would start focusing on him, and next thing you know, Brandon Radcliffe just gashes them up the middle for, for big runs. Uh, he had the three touchdowns. Big game for him. Uh, Lamar Jackson did not turn the ball over, which was good, uh, at least not uh, not via uh, interception, at least. He did lose a fumble. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about what this game could have been if, if Louisville plays well from the start. I mean, you could be talking about another kind of Boston College-esque 52-3 kind of game. Um, instead, they... they keep it close for a long time. Wake Forest hangs around and then finally kind of runs out of gas as uh, Louisville finds something that works. Um, the the steam and Deacons here, a valiant effort. Uh, Kate Carney, 17 carries for 50 yards. That's not terrible uh, considering, you know, the level of defense that they're playing. John Walford, 13 to 22 for 141 yards. That's pretty good for him and kind of considering. So, not bad for Wake. Uh, they put forth, you know, real good, like you said, about two and a half quarters, maybe going on three quarters, but uh, they just did not have what it took to, to close out as Louisville scores 34 in the fourth quarter to win 44 to 12. It's wild. It was just wild. But appropriate for this weekend. Absolutely. It fit, it fit right in with everything else that was going on around that time. It was just weird. Exactly. Let's change gears here, Mike. Let's talk about a game that actually did not fit in this weekend at all, and it went exactly how we thought it was going to go. Number 18, Florida State, 45, Boston College, 7 on Friday night. And we had a couple of questions maybe coming into this game. The Seminoles were a three-touchdown favorite. But it was kind of a weird spot for them playing at Dope Campbell on a Friday night. Didn't know how excited they'd be for it. Boston College has given teams problems at times. And yet, Florida State just wasn't having any of the nonsense this weekend. Just went out and took care of business. Um, This game was just a total blowout from the start. Uh, it took until about three minutes left in the game for Boston College to even score. Uh, it seemed like Florida State was taking advantage of the senior night and, and getting a lot of guys in the game. This was a totally dominant effort for the Seminoles here, Mike. Yeah, this was eerily reminiscent of Florida State playing like an FCS team. Um, sorry, Boston College. <laughs> That's kind of what it felt like. I mean, you had 
Patrick Tolles and Darius Wade for BC. Combined stats now for an entire game. Four for 13, 50 yards. Ouch. Not good, Bob. Not uh, good. So, yeah, that's what we're dealing with in passing game. Running the ball, 35 carries, 96 yards among one, two, three, four, five, six, nine ball carriers. 35 carries, 96 yards. Miles Willis led the way, three carries, 41 yards for BC. Florida State, meanwhile, on the other hand, couldn't do anything wrong. DeAndre Francois, 16 to 24, 183, three scores. Sean McGuire came in, mop-up duty, 5 of 7, 53 yards, 2 scores. Dalvin Cook, 18 carries, 108 yards. That's 6 six points. 6 points per carry is what it felt like. (laughs) 6 yards per carry for those keeping score at home. He had another touchdown. Man, this was uh, not a lot to see here. This was uh, a blowout through and through. Mike, you could add up the points that Boston College had, the first downs that Boston College had, and the third downs that Boston College converted, and you still would be, like, four touchdowns down. <laughs> Boston College still, had still eight, blowout. eight first downs and were one for 12 on third down in this game. This, this looked like it was unfair. I mean, this was yeah. not a fair fight from the start. Boston College was just completely outmatched and outgunned in this game. Nothing ever started working. Of course, until I needed Boston College and to keep the game under this points total, and they decided to score in their last drive of the game. So thanks for crapping in my Cheerios, hey, Boston also, College. <laughs> also, uh, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, not to throw myself under the bus, but I think I said something like, hey, maybe BC can, like, find a way to cover. Uh, I think I said that last week, and uh, I don't know why I said that. So, All right, I'm blaming you for this. Yeah, completely. I mean, there's, it's indefensible. <laughs> Yeah, good showing for Florida State here. Um, just coming out and completely taking care of business. Not a whole lot more to say. Dalvin Cook, as you mentioned, really good. 18 carries, 108 yards, and a touchdown. Um, this was just, yeah, I mean, it was dominant. Good stuff, Florida State. Welcome back, Boston College. Anything else here, Mike, before we move on? Yeah, BC sucks. Oh, man. BC does kind of suck. <laughs> I hate to say it, you know. I hate Sorry. to say it about our ACC brethren. but Sorry, Dan Rubin. They are, yeah, sorry, Dan Rubin. They are just so awful. And yet, but. there are some people that don't think Steve Adazio should be fired, and I take issue with that. But <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe a conversation for another day. Some can argue he might should have been fired maybe sooner. But anyway. Lord. Moving on, Mike. So Florida State 45, Boston College 7. We found out uh, around the time that Lee Corso was putting on his headgear on Saturday that uh, Eric Dungey was not going to be playing for Syracuse against NC State in the Carrier Dome. And from there, things went exactly how we kind of said it would if Eric Dungey was not playing, where NC State covered a something between a five- and a seven-point spread by the time kickoff actually happened. Um, NC State 35, Syracuse 20. Big games from Ryan Finley and Matt Days. Honestly, if you look at the, the stats for this game, it... it Looks completely lopsided for how actually kind of close of a game it tended to be a lot of the time. Um, NC State held onto the ball for over 41 minutes of this game. They had 300 more yards of offense. Uh, they had 27 first downs to Syracuse 10. I mean, this was a total just beat down shellacking of a game that was 
a seven point or eight point game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was a really weird game. Uh, first of all, shout out to Zach Mahoney, the backup quarterback for Syracuse, has stepped in, played pretty well. Uh, he's not Eric Dungy, but he played well. Thirteen of twenty-four, one ninety, threw a touchdown and interception. Didn't really do anything that really absolutely killed Syracuse in this game. I thought he was fine, uh, and that's kind of what they needed to stay in it. Yeah, and NC State really, I mean, three hundred and forty yards passing from Ryan Finley. He was twenty of twenty-nine through the air. Um, a really nice game by him. Running the ball, Matt Days, 108 yards, three scores. Like you said, statistics pretty lopsided. Uh, yeah, you know, I thought Syracuse hung in there. Uh, I wasn't really sure what the path to victory was without Eric Dungey in because Dungey has been so good this year for them in that offense. And not having him, obviously they missed him, but they didn't miss him as much as I thought they would. Um, I thought Mahoney played well. Uh, yeah, just kind of a... It was a weird game. Like I feel like NC State, this is a game they probably should have won by um, more than 15 if you look at the stats, like you said. But um, it, it was a close game for, uh, really, I mean, twenty. it was 28-20 until they scored that late touchdown. So it was a one-score game for most of the second half. I mean, this wasn't a, a boat race for NC State by any means. But, you know, you look at it and, and really who is NC State going to actually blow out nowadays anyway with the way they're playing, but a good win for NC State. I'm not sure they would have been able to get it if uh, Eric Dungey was playing. I think this would have been a whole lot different considering, uh, you know, how lopsided the you know the yardage amounts were for NC State and how well it seems like their entire offense played, and they still kind of had to scratch and claw to get their 15-point win. I would agree, Mike. Uh, this game, I mean, Syracuse's defense is not that good. And they had a gutsy effort in this game, uh, keeping yep. it down as, as much as they did. This game at one point was 21-20. to 20. Um, So holding holding the Wolfpack down as long as they could. I thought the NC State defense also had a really good game. They had 13 tackles for loss and three sacks in this game. That's pretty big. But I, I'm with you that I have to think this game turns out differently if Eric Dungy is healthy and playing. Um, for, for how close it was given Syracuse's limitations – Dungey might be the difference between a two-touchdown loss and a, and a win outright here. So uh, tough sledding here for Syracuse a little bit. They're, they dropped to four and six. Uh, NC State, meanwhile, is up at five and five. They're approaching ball eligibility. They just need to win one more here down the stretch against Miami and North Carolina, which that's an uphill battle. Um, we'll talk a little more about those games here in the coming weeks. But uh, Syracuse basically staring down the barrel of non-ball eligibility here. Games left against Florida State and Pittsburgh. I think they're lucky to win one of those. And still, I mean, decent first year under Dino Babers, but... Better than I thought. Hey, yeah. Hey, we got to give them that credit. Um, and, and I think, too, that the thing that we have to say about them, too, is that their offense looks a lot better here at the end of the year than it did at the beginning. And that level of progress is is a huge thing for, for year one under a new coach. Yep. I, you know, I agree. I, you know, Dino Babers and, and the Syracuse team as a whole, I think, is just improving. You know, if the defense gets better, this is going to be a team in the Atlantic Division that'll be, I mean, they're almost mediocre now. So this could be a team that could potentially be pretty good here if they figure out uh, figure out some things on defense and Eric Dungy hangs around and continues to play well. Yep. Wolfpack 35, Syracuse 20. Two more here, Mike. Last full conference game. The Miami Hurricanes traveled to Charlottesville, and they just totally overwhelmed Virginia. 34-14, yeah. the Hurricanes winners here. 
Um, this is another game that it kind of got out of hand after halftime. It was 17-14 at the break, and then Miami just turned on the Jets and, and scored outscored Virginia 17 to nothing in the second half and, and ran away with it. Uh, decent, not great game from Brad Kaya, 14-29 for 228, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, big game on the ground for Miami. Mark Walton, Gus Edwards, Joe Yearby, 16 for 111 and a touchdown, one or 11 for 11 for 68, nine for 53 and a touchdown. That's that's a three-headed monster right there for Miami. And Virginia also kind of found a way to keep it close there for a little bit at least while their uh, their offense really had a tough time in this game, Mike. Yeah, uh, I mean this is a game where you're looking at the Miami offense, especially with how they played in the second half. You're thinking, man, I wish this Miami offense that showed up the last two weeks was kind of there all year um, because I think the last two weeks is kind of the closest thing we've seen to probably their best offensive performance of the year, take it as you will, against App State uh, back in September. And, uh, you know, when looking at Miami, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, man, if they had this offense rolling like this for for a while, I think they would have been just fine Um overall this season I mean they're still already at six wins and you're looking at that offense has been pretty inconsistent but yeah they overwhelmed Virginia they're a better team than Virginia Virginia of course sitting now at two and eight not a great first year for Bronco Mendenhall um he's been outclassed most I mean not him himself but his team has been outclassed most weeks uh so they need to uh they need to figure something out at Virginia uh, I think that Mendenhall is probably the right guy for the job it's way too early to tell uh he's been there not even one full season yet, but they have not really looked much better than they did last year. So that's the problem that Virginia faces. Miami, like you said, three-head monster running back, all the athletes at receiver, uh, much better quarterback, uh, and Brad Kaya. This was uh, not a game that was very close, but especially in the second half. But give credit to Virginia for hanging in there at least early. Mike, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen more from Brad Kaya than we have. He was 14-29 in this game, again, for 228, two touchdowns and a pick. I mean, completion percentage-wise, he he hasn't been great this year. Um, and for a guy that we thought might be, you know, a top three quarterback in the country and certainly one of the two best quarterbacks in the conference, I, I kind of expected more from him passing the ball than what we've gotten a lot of times this year. Is that is that just yep. unusually high expectations or – Am I seeing something here that might be questionable if you're like an NFL scout or something like that? I think uh, I read something this week. NFL scouts think that he's probably fallen to like a second or third round draft grade versus where he was at beginning of the year. So in my opinion, Brad Kaya is primed to come back to school unless something changes here the last few games. Um, and, and if that's the case, then, you know, I think Miami will be in a good position next year. I think, you know, they're asking Brad Kaya to do a little bit less now, I think, Um with the defense improving and a better running game, but when they need Brad Kaya to play well, he needs to play well. I mean, that's I know it sounds like a pretty stupid one-liner, but like this is a, a Miami offense that really needs Brad Kaya, and um, if if he's not playing well, then uh, it's it's really uphill sliding for him. Miami thirty-four, Virginia fourteen. Last one, Mike. Notre Dame won a game. They're on that march towards bowl eligibility, hopefully. Uh, Notre Dame 44, <laughs> Army, number, Army 6 in San Antonio. Army number 6, that would be something, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, what is this, World War II? Um, <laughs> that was about the last time they were real good. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, so Notre Dame comes out in this game and runs the opening kickoff back for a touchdown, and the route was pretty much on from there. 
Um, this was a totally dominating effort uh, by Notre Dame. I thought that for their defense in particular to bounce back from a an iffy, questionable performance against Navy last week, uh, they only gave up 10 first downs to Army. Army was 3 of 11 on third downs. Um, really a pretty good showing from the Notre Dame defense. They got off the field. The offense outgained Army by over 200 yards. Uh, they outpossessed them by over nine minutes. This is really just a good, good overall route of a win for Notre Dame here, Mike. Yeah, so if you're a Notre Dame fan, I know that this year has been very rough and there's not a whole lot of silver linings to be found, but you needed a win. And not only did they win, they did what they were supposed to do against a team like Army, and it's one of the only times this season where Notre Dame has blown out a team that they should have blown out. I mean, we're talking going back to Week 2 against Nevada. That's the last time that... Uh, Notre Dame has it, it's the last time it feels like the last time Notre Dame won a game but it's the last time Notre Dame won a game and did it convincingly as they should have um, and I guess that's pretty encouraging I thought defensively uh, they look good I mean this is an army offense that won't blow you away but it does have a pretty solid rushing attack and Notre Dame essentially shut them down which is really important for confidence even against a team like Army which obviously is not very good across the board, but uh, they're, they're better than they've been in quite some time. And for Notre Dame to get a win, that's one that you needed. And, uh, you know, Kaiser was good, 209, three touchdowns. Obviously, as C.J. Sanders returning, the opening kickoff to the house was uh, a, a very nice development to start the game for Notre Dame, kind of get momentum on their side early. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for Notre Dame, obviously, it's going to still be very tough to make a bowl game. They've got Virginia Tech this weekend, and then uh, they close out their season against Southern Cal. And, look, USC looks like one of the more improved teams in the country. Uh, They looked pretty bad over the first month, and they've been pretty solid ever since, Uh, obviously knocking off Washington this weekend uh, in a game that was, you know, not a route, but it was a pretty convincing win against a good Washington team. So it won't be easy there. Notre Dame's or Notre Dame's chances could even be knocked out sooner than that. Uh, you know, their senior day game uh, this Saturday against Virginia Tech will not be easy. Virginia Tech, uh, you know, this past weekend and the Syracuse weekend notwithstanding, they're playing pretty solid football here over the last two months. So uh, it won't be easy for Notre Dame to make a bowl game, but this is obviously a step in the right direction. One of the things that sticks out in this game to me, Mike, is the drive summary for Notre Dame. So they run the opening kickoff back for a touchdown, and from there, their drives went touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown, interception, touchdown, end of game. Yep. Can't do a whole lot better than that. That was pretty good. You can't. And it's an offense that has really racked up a ton of yards this year and hasn't really, you know, fully encapsulated – in the points column. I mean, they just really haven't scored as many points as they've needed to all year long. I mean, the defense has been so bad, and the offense has moved the ball and really just hasn't put the ball in the end zone enough, and that's been kind of the straw that's broken the camels back for Notre Dame. Torian Folston, 13 carries, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Josh Adams, 15 carries, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, can't complain. Deshaun Kaiser, 17 of 28, 209, three touchdowns, and that one interception that was in the end zone. That was maybe the only blemish on this day for Notre Dame. Overall, just a really good team win here for the Irish. Yeah, I mean they they needed one, so it was good to see good to see him finally uh, break through 
for their fourth win of the season in, in week 11. It's crazy. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. As you mentioned, yeah, it's tough sledding from here for Notre Dame. Uh, they've got Virginia Tech at home this week. What you figure will be a pretty angry, uh, ready-for-redemption Virginia Tech team. And then they got to go on the road to a USC team that just knocked off the number four team in the country in Washington. So, I mean, I guess crazier things have happened, but hard to think that uh, that Notre Dame's going bowling if, if they've got to get to six wins to get there. At this point, you never know. I mean, five and seven could get you there, depending on APR scores and some other. Theirs will be high. <laughs> yeah, theirs will be high enough. Yeah, that's for sure. Somebody will make sure that they are. That's right. All right, Mike. Let's move on. We got two more things we got to do before we get out of here. For the Go ACC moment of the week, we have to talk about a scenario that uh, does not happen often. Mitch Trubisky really uh, laying an egg out there. The uh, final drive of the game, Duke has a 28-27 lead. UNC gets the ball back late uh, in their own, deep in their own territory with a chance to drive all the way down the field, maybe kick a field goal, try to win the game. And a few plays in, you know, they've gotten moving. They've got about 15 yards under them. And then, well, this happened. 1-11 to go. First down, Carolina. Trubisky all kinds of time. Here come the flags, and it's intercepted. Thrown right to the defense, Alonzo Saxton. And the Blue Devils are going to get their first ACC win in the game that matters most to them. Ouch. That, from your supposedly number one uh, quarterback on the board in terms of NFL draft stock next year, Mitch Trubisky, just with all sorts of time, managed to throw the ball no less than 10 yards away from any of his receivers and directly into the arms of a waiting Duke defender. It's like he forgot which color of blue his team was wearing. I'm like, <laughs> this was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he looked up in the stands and was like, oh, man, there's like 15 more people here than are at our home game, so <laughs> it's time for me to, to, to piss away my chance at taking the spotlight. Uh, that was a terrible throw. I mean, there was nobody within 10 or 15 yards of where he was throwing, and, yeah, he essentially hits – the Duke defender right in the numbers, uh, therefore ending the game there for North Carolina. I mean, it should never have come down to that point, but it did. And, you know, he didn't necessarily look like Marquise Williams out there. Oh, wait. <laughs> Marquise Williams threw pl- plenty of clutch interceptions, too. So, uh, yeah, UNC has some has some issues uh, if, if they're in tight games late with their quarterback play, that's for sure. Damn, Mitch, Mitch Trubisky. Brain fart at the worst possible time. That's good for the Go ACC moment of the week. Congratulations to you. Go ACC to that. And then, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. Oh, boy. The Clemson Tigers pulling a Clemson. They get to the end of the game. They had several opportunities to find ways to win this game, and they found every possible way to lose it. Going forward on fourth down... Again, you know, we could debate the uh, the validity of that call, but clearly in hindsight that did not work whatsoever. It, the call itself didn't make a ton of sense given the lack of success they'd had running the ball the entire game. Uh, there was a lot of finding ways to blame this on the referees, and that doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense. Um, my goodness, Clemson. You, you were doing so well, and oh, golly. This you is, tried to lose, and you did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like 
this award goes to success for once. Uh, the Clemson yeah. Tigers trying to lose and succeeding. Yeah, or trying to win and, and not succeeding. It really depends on how you look at it. Either way, Clemson takes the cake. That is That was prime Clemsoning uh, late yesterday afternoon. That's what that was. That was uh, that was prime Clemsoning. Uh, they hate when we call it that, but that's exactly what it was. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And to be fair, we haven't seen that in a long time. They've they've done a good job of beating who they should beat for several years now. And they, you had to figure they were due for one, especially after the debacle that almost was the NC State game earlier this year. Oh, boy. So, man, it's just to do that in front of your home fans, that's that's harsh. Uh, yeah, it was also harsh. They gave up, like, 45 million touchdowns to Pittsburgh. But, yeah. Yeah. I, that really just put him in that spot. I still don't know what the defense was doing in that game. My goodness. They put out some really good efforts against some really good offenses, and Pitt's a pretty good offense, but not not a 43 points on Clemson good offense. Right. You have to think. Yeah, I mean, kind of quietly explosive, but, I mean, you shouldn't be scoring that many points on Clemson. Clemson, you tried to win this game at home against a team you should have beat. It didn't go too well. Also, a uh, You Tried Award can also go to our laptops, too. We can <laughs> yeah, technology has been the struggle bus this week. My goodness. For those of you keeping score at home, this is Joey and I's third time recording this podcast this evening. Yeah, because we're... we've had numerous technical issues. My Skype crashing, his computer shutting down. It's been a, a nightmare here so far. But we, we finally pushed through, I think. Yeah, these computers keep going for the uh, chaos of the week, I guess. It's trying to take over. Yeah, I think I'm going to blame the referees. <laughs> that seems like the strategy, right, Mike? Yeah, that's right. It doesn't go how you want it. Not my referees. Anyways, uh, let's see. Okay, so it's been a crazy week 11. Obviously a lot of really good action in the ACC and elsewhere. Uh, week 12 figures to be a little better in terms of what the matchups look like initially, and yet I don't really know if it's ever going to live up to what we got in Week 11 here. Uh, no, a lot of weird stuff happened, but, you know, never count the ACC out. Uh, absolutely not. Just when you think everything's getting better and everything's starting to make sense, that's when everything kind of goes to hell, and that's what we had in Week 11. Um, all right, Mike, uh, anything else before we get out of here? I am good. we got a nice preview podcast dropping here later in the week, so that'll be solid. Hell yeah, we do. Depending on when we do this, I might have to be playing a road game. We'll see. Hey, road game. Yeah, always an adventure. On that rural South Texas internet connection. We'll see how that goes. Woo, hotel internet. Yeehaw. In any case, Mike, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do this again later this week, doing a, a preview episode for week 12. Yeah, sounds good, Joey. All right. Until then, you guys can reach us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, anything else. Uh, the longest email address, no demand, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeah. But uh, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Go ACC. 